of the Indie Rock Persuasion. I'm your host, Amanda Starling, here to talk to you about all things intersectional feminism, DIY, and of course the music. I hope everyone has had an awesome week. I was fortunate to have spent the weekend with some of my favorite people since Expert Timing and Slingshot Dakota were playing shows throughout Florida, and on top of that, we had Death Protector Fest. I'm so thrilled to have had the opportunity to support a stacked, inclusive lineup, but on top of that, the venue was full. We had a stellar turnout that really supported everyone who played. Everyone's sets were perfect, and it was really nice to see friends from Super Haunted, Pool Kids, Night Witch, and Woolbright. Everyone seems to have so many great things happening for them or coming, and it's so cool to see all these supportive friendships that exist in this scene. Death Protector Fest felt like a perfect celebration of that. Thank you so much to Dikembe, especially Randy, for organizing all of the bands, sponsors, and spaces that we were able to enjoy. I'm so thankful for the efforts that this band and everyone involved make for inclusive opportunities and spaces, and I really can't wait for us to throw the next one. Speaking of which, my guest this week shares so many of those same values of community and creating opportunity. I'm joined by activist and musician Evan Greer, who has shared her sophomore record, She, Her, They, Them, through Don Giovanni Records. Evan is a vocal fighter for equal rights, opportunities for all marginalized communities, net neutrality, and so many more issues that we are facing as a society. 
But on top of her career as an activist, she's made a point to use her gifts in music to make that messaging all the more accessible. In this interview, we talk about how Evan cut her teeth in music, the impact of life experiences in music, writing songs that are celebratory, and so much more. So let's listen to some more of Evan's incredible music and then get into our interview.
Well, welcome, Evan, to Anger Girl Music of the Indie Rock Persuasion. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks so much for having me on to talk. This is really exciting. I've been following you for some time on social media, and I've loved everything that you put out into the internet and your music and all that you do. So it's so exciting to be able to talk to you at last. Oh, well, yeah, I, I appreciate it. And it's great that it's just awesome, like, how much um, – work is going into like highlighting um, artists that have like so often been left out of the conversation. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing with the podcast. So thanks for, for doing it, for having me. Absolutely. Well, I have so many questions for you, so I'm, I'm ready to just jump on into it. One of the questions I always like to ask my guests is, uh, you know, a little bit about how you first kind of got into music. Do you remember any bands or anything that really stuck with you as a kid that kind of started to shape you into uh, your career? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. Um, I took a sort of funny roundabout route to like punk music specifically, I guess I'd say, you know, I, I was totally one of those like nerd, like weird nerdy kids that like didn't care about music for like a long time, like in like middle school, almost like as like a way of rebelling against the fact that like everybody else cared so much about music. I was like, I don't even know bands, like whatever. <laughs> um, and then like, I don't know, maybe my freshman or sophomore year of high school, I kind of like tucked into a big pile of my dad's old records and got like super excited about like 60s and 70s music um, and like the music of my parents' generation basically. And the songs that really grabbed me were like Simon and Garfunkel and Joan Baez and like Neil Young and Buffy St. Marie and like all these kind of like political folk singers. And I, it just like, I wasn't like a particularly political kid, but I kind of had like a sense that like things in the world were messed up and like unfair. Um, and so like, hearing songs that were specifically about like especially the war in Vietnam and and like that whole era um and you know that music you know really moved me and I I had never really thought about like music as a tool for like spreading a message um and so those songs really gripped me and um I, I you know it was also right around the same time that I started playing guitar and right around the same time that the U.S. kind of started building up um the drumbeat of invading Afghanistan um, after 9-11. Um, and so that was like, all of that was happening sort of like as I was like coming of age in high school. And the first song that I wrote on my like acoustic guitar with like silly Grateful Dead stickers all over it um, was like an anti-war song. And then I was kind of like, I don't, you know, I can't go around singing this song if I'm not gonna like do something about this. Um, and so I helped lead a student walkout that ended up being like one of the biggest student walkouts in Boston, like since wow. the Vietnam War and got involved with like a bunch of local um, anti-imperialist and anti-war organizations and um, helped organize a big rally. And that was like the first time I ever played in front of more than like, you know, five of my friends was like on a rally at a rally at Boston Common in front of like 30,000 people or something like that. Um, wow. And so that was sort of it for me. I, you know, like I kind of saw it was like this moment where I saw the power both of like activism and organizing and also the power of like music and culture as a way of feeding social movements um, and got, you know, just was like totally had the bug and, and became super obsessed with, with like basically all political music. And so like, I feel like a lot of kids like get into punk music when they're in high school and then kind of through that maybe find like political folk or like hip hop or like other genres. And for me, it was sort of the opposite. Like I got into like, my parents like Phil Oaks and stuff. And then through that ended up finding, you know, bands like Anti-Flag and Against Me and um, Anti-Product um, and, you know, Bikini Kill and, and 
like all those folks um, that were like really formative for like both my politics and musically. The, the few music that like I did get into in my phase of like pretending that I didn't like music was totally just like 90s, like angsty girl rock, like Alanis Morissette. Um, oh, hell yeah. Totally like, I can still listen, you know, like all, fuck all of the haters on Jack Little Pill. I can still listen to it beginning to end. <laughs> and I'd say like musically, actually that, you know, like Melissa Etheridge and like that whole era of just like angsty, like 90s girl rock is actually probably a bigger influence on me than like most like indie punk or like cool bands that people like to like. Um, and I don't know that just sort of sticks with me till this day. I love that though, because, um, you know, at this point, I feel like a lot of people are starting to really own how much they loved the 90s, just like pop rock scene, especially for like women and such. So I keep hearing more and more people talking about Alanis Morissette and actually Melissa Etheridge and stuff. So that's kind of cool to hear you say that because I'm like, yeah, people are starting to be like, hell yeah, that was like a great era of music. And it's interesting to me too, that like in many ways, your music and your politics are kind of synonymous. I mean, that's definitely reflected in the music you write too. Yeah. I mean, for me, they've always been really woven together. Um, and I, it's, you know, I think that that, at different times in my life that's taken on different forms. Like I'd say like my last album was much more like protest songs with like a capital P, you know, mm -hmm. um, whereas she, her, they, them is kind of a lot more, you know, emb embodying that sentiment that like the personal is political and like sharing kind of being a little bit more vulnerable and like sharing my own experiences or my own like inner conflicts about like the complexities of politics and, and like how hard it is to like actually make change in the world and how like depressing that can be. Um, but, you know, I mean, for me, I think like, yeah, I, I'm really excited about finding ways to use music strategically. So like, not just like, how do I write a song about this issue that's important to me to raise awareness about that issue, but like, how do I bring musicians and artists and creators and cultural workers together um, to like actually concretely support and bolster movements for justice and liberation. So like getting, you know, beyond just like a benefit concert, like what are the ways that we can actually like harness the power of music um, to like make concrete political change. Um, and I get like, I get kind of nerdy about that. Like I like to like geek out on like how, how best we can do that um, and like do it most effectively. Cause you know, these issues are like really urgent. We don't really have time to just like mess around and pat ourselves on the back um, because we organized a show. Um, like, you know, it's like, that's like one piece of the fabric, but um, you know, I think like always pushing and figuring out how we can like measure how we're doing and like um, set real goals and like be kind of serious about using music as a tool and a weapon um, is like really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, if you think about it, music has this way of kind of setting the tone for culture. I feel like, you know, once people hear that one song, it takes one really powerful protest song to kind of like shape sometimes the attitudes of an entire group of people um, of how that they approach whether it's an experience or a marginalized group of people, all of it. So it's interesting how that works in like the mainstream and then actually making it actionable the way that you envision is really important because it takes it to the next level. It becomes more than a conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. And I, I kind of try to think of like political music in a few different ways. Like I feel like there's like really like utilitarian ways, like, okay, here's a song that you can sing on a picket line or like in a jail cell. Mm -hmm. Or like, here's a, you know, a benefit album where we're raising money for a like political prisoner or to support like the trans community or, you know, whatever. Um, but then there's also the like medicinal element to it too, right? Where it's like, 
there's just something about like creating a song or hearing a song that like reminds you that you're not the only one who's like pissed off about this thing or you're not the only one who's experiencing this type of oppression or alienation or um, or like mental health issue or addiction or whatever it may be. And like, for me, that's actually like what I hear the, like get the most is like, you know, mess or like what like means the most to me is like messages, especially from like young queer and trans people, especially in like rural areas where like they don't have a lot of queer and trans community around them, but like they've somehow stumble upon my music and are like, you know, hearing your songs was the first time I realized there was like other people out there like me. Um, and like, I can relate to that and like think about like certain bands or artists or songs that like, you know, probably in some ways literally saved my life over the years um, and just helped me feel connected to something larger than myself. Um, and so, yeah, so I try to think of music in like all those ways, you know, that it's like a political song doesn't just have to be one where you're like screaming about politicians. Um, it could also be just a song where you're like sharing something of yourself in a way that helps other people feel a little less alone. Absolutely. And it's beautiful how music does that. And I feel like you've done that through both of your releases because, I mean, I went back and I listened to a bit of Never Surrender and that really resonated with me like 10 years later. And it's amazing because I wish that I found that record whenever I was in high school and I was younger trying to kind of figure out my way of thinking. And I feel like it was just a really strong way to not only have the ability to access these protest songs, because that's what you were writing at the time. But I mean, in, in some ways, it did feel a bit optimistic. I feel like you've described it as such in that time. Um, do you feel that there are parts of that album that still ring true in the present politically as well as for you personally? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it was 10 years ago, but it's yeah. kind of cool, actually, to realize that, like, in a lot of ways, like, my politics haven't really changed in 10 years. Um, it's more just like, you know, they've just kind of marinated a bit and, and maybe I'm a bit more thoughtful or a bit more introspective, a little bit less of that like naive, like youthful optimism and energy that like, you know, was totally needed and like is still totally needed. Um, but, you know, I mean, the sentiments there are all still ring true to me. Like I still, you know, kind of my fundamental orientation or politic is, is around challenging arbitrary forms of power and authority um, and, you know, in all the forms that they take. And I've just, I think, you know, what, what maybe is different about the new record is like, again, being a bit more thoughtful or introspective around like, well, what does that actually mean? And how do we actually do that effectively? Um, I think one thing, if there's one thing I've learned in the last 10 years, it's that like being right never actually changed anything. Um, and so, you know, like being all about ideology without being also about strategy, um, you know, often be leads to kind of like navel gazing. Um, and so I think like, you know, getting kind of real about um, here's what we believe. Um, and like, that's great and all, but like, there's nothing righteous about like losing over and over again. So let's take what we believe and like put it into action um, and actually like, you know, get kind of real about how we can, how we can get there. But, you know, I definitely still play a ton of those songs off Never Surrender. And, you know, I know a lot of them like mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, and I'm, I'm just super excited to kind of finally have gotten into the studio after 10 years and recorded some of these newer songs, although some of them aren't even new. I mean, some of the songs on She, Her, They, Them were written before songs on Never Surrender. It's kind of like a bit of a, a montage of like, you know, all these different pieces of my life. Um, but having it take so long to get back in the studio actually gave those songs time to kind of like age with me mm -hmm. um, and grow with me. Um, and, and that's really special too, I think. 
Definitely. And like, from my understanding, you kind of adjusted some of the aspects of your music, according to kind of where you're at in life, um, your music career and your activism. Um, what were some kind of driving points for you and what, kept, what kind of kept you motivated to um, write new music and as well as kind of revisit what you have from your past? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, for a long time um, after Never Surrender came out, I was just on the road like all the time. Like I was playing like 300 shows a year in like basements and bookstores and coffee shops and like just barely scraping by basically on like selling CDRs and like, you know, suggested donations at the door. Um, and I was always one of those artists that could like sell out your local feminist bookstore, but like that was about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I never really broke into like a bigger audience than that. Um, you know, so I had this sort of like small but dedicated following in a lot of places. Um, and like living that life actually made it really, really hard to like be intentional about like recording music or, um, or like how I wanted to share my songs. It was very much just like, you know, on one tour, booking the next tour, home for a week, like back on the road. Um, and so when I finally like had a kid and kind of needed to like, you know, basically just like reorient and rethink about how I wanted to orient toward my music and started helping run a nonprofit and um, doing other work that was like sustaining me. Um, it actually gave me like more space to be a little bit more intentional about like, how did I want to like share my songs with the world? And, um, you know, what types of shows did I want to play instead of just like jumping at every single opportunity because I needed the 50 bucks to pay rent, um, you know, being a little bit thoughtful and and also getting excited about like my home community in Boston. Like when I was on the road all the time, you know, I was pretty disconnected, honestly. For, you know, I could draw more people in London than in Boston um, because I never did much here. And then, you know, kind of like reconnecting to, to my community here and starting to organize Break the Chains, which is the monthly queer dance party that I throw mm -hmm. um, and being excited about like curating events instead of just performing at them. <coughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, that's sort of a ramble in response to your question, but I guess just kind of like, yeah, I, I had really internalized like the capitalist value that like, if I wasn't making a living off my music, then like it was worthless or like I wasn't like a real artist, quote unquote. Um, and so when I was sort of forced to like reckon with that and like basically couldn't support a family and support a child, like as a transgender anti-capitalist folk singer um, and like got a quote unquote real job, it actually like, was in, you know, surprisingly one of the best decisions for my music career that I ever made because it made me actually more serious about being intentional about how I wanted to do things um, instead of just sort of like the hustle of like always, you know, trying to like make a living doing it and being at the whim of sort of consumer culture as it commodifies music. Um, so I don't know, <laughs> maybe that answers your question. <laughs> it does, definitely, because, you know, at that point you kind of have to step back and in that sense, because of that more intentional motivation, you kind of were able to focus on cultivating a really strong presence in activism and being able to write um, music that, you know, just really was more meaningful to you. And I feel like in many ways is medicinal in the way that you described earlier, too. Yeah, and it's, it's helped me connect with, like, other parts of how I want to express myself. Like, I kind of realized, like, not everything needs to be a song like some things that I want to say maybe should be like an op-ed for the guardian or like mm -hmm. some, you know, or a video or, you know, like other forms of cultural expression. Um, and that's one of the things I love about my work at fight for the future as an activist is like, 
it's still, it's like a lot of the same stuff, you know, it's like still like using creativity to try to reach large numbers of people, reach them on an emotional level and move them to take action. And so like, whether that's a song or like a website or, um, you know, a video campaign or some social media content or whatever, it's all still kind of like the same basic concept of like, how do we harness the power of art and culture um, to like move large numbers of people? Um, it's just that like a total, you know, instead of moving like the hundred people at my show, it's moving the like hundred million people that I can get to see, um, you know, our campaign page or like whatever it is that we're creating. Um, and so it all works like very well together and it's been, you know, a lot of fun really to kind of like bounce back and forth between the two and weave the two together. Absolutely. And you clearly have this talent for being able to kind of reach people with messaging, whether it's through art, um, music or anything. But I'm kind of wondering, how did you start to build your career in activism? I know you mentioned that, you know, starting out as a high schooler, you were starting to participate in these marches and such. But at what point did you decide that you wanted to start taking on like campaigns like Fight for the Future and such? Yeah, I mean, um, I'd always been involved in like volunteer level activism, you know, again, since high school and, um, you know, supporting various campaigns for political prisoners or around LGBT rights or, um, you know, just various like local issues in Boston or um, environmental issues. I did a whole tour by bicycle with my friend Shannon Murray, where we we're doing workshops on climate justice and climate change. Um, so like, obviously, that's always been a part of it. And then I mean, in terms of coming to fight for the future, like there's no like cool, sexy story. I just like really needed a job basically. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, applied to like a bunch of kind of like run of the mill, like nonprofit office jobs where I probably would have like lost my mind and been banging my head against the wall um, or quit after a couple of weeks, but was super lucky to just come across the folks that were running fight for the future who were totally like, the punks of like the nonprofit world um, oh, hell yeah. and we're doing like stuff that nobody else was doing in terms of like organizing these massive online protests and really defending the internet as a platform for um, freedom of expression and for organizing and for um, I mean just like as like a universal library of like human knowledge and creativity which I think is so powerful um, and so I just sort of like stumbled upon them on like idealist.org or some website like that and then connected and I've been with them ever since and and then you know like we recently had a leadership transition so now you know myself and another woman are helping run the organization but um, it's been kind of interesting actually because you know working on the internet specifically as an artist um, creates some cool questions like you know the record industry especially like really big record labels have been really pushing the narrative that like the internet is the enemy of artists, right? And like, you know, the reason you can't make a living as an artist is because, you know, of the internet. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's definitely like real challenges in like, you know, companies like Spotify that are like super exploitative of artist labor and like not compensating artists fairly. But my experience as like a more fringe independent artist that's never had major label support is that the internet is like the only thing that like has enabled me to like, make a living doing art or share my art with the world in any meaningful way. Um, and I think it's actually smashing like a lot of the norms and like, you know, under like, you know, changing um, the degree to which there are these gatekeepers that like get to decide what is and isn't cool mm -hmm. um, in, in these really powerful ways. And I think we're seeing like a revolution right now of like so many more, um, especially like women and 
POC and queer and independent artists that are like gaining recognition. And now it's like the mainstream is like knocking on our door being like, Hey, can we come to your cool party? Um, <laughs> you know, because we've like carved out and like fought for space for ourselves, and the internet has given us this like platform to do so. Um, Absolutely. So I, it's, it's kind of a cool thing to work on just because it's like, you know, I, you know, I have a very different experience than the narrative that's been pushed by the corporations that are pushing for legislation like SOPA PIPA or, you know, for more internet censorship as a way to confront like alleged music piracy and things like that. Um, when, you know, my experience with it is that it actually like gives more people a voice in the music industry than ever before. Um, they just don't like it because it's cutting into their corporate profits, right? Um, and their ability to exploit artists' labor. So I, I, you know, that stuff also is just interesting to me in terms of like the dynamic between it all. Absolutely. There's, it's, it's such a fascinating time to see the way that artists are impacted by technology. And, you know, I'm always back and forth on it because of course we want these streaming services to pay artists fairly. But at the same time, it's like everything that the internet has given us thus far has been able to push artists that otherwise would have been possibly confined to like their hometowns, the ability to connect and tour places they may not have been able to, or just have their music reach somebody in a town that may otherwise not get touring artists or bands or anything like that. So it's an opportunity as much as it is like a struggle. So it's an interesting point in, I feel like almost music history, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and I think we're just, it's like, it's important to remember that like all of this is still sort of relatively new. You yeah. Know? I mean, like when I put out Never Surrender, like Spotify didn't exist and like, you know, like promoting your album meant like mailing physical CDs to like radio DJs. Right. Absolutely. And now it's like a totally different thing. And that's only 10, you know, that's a decade, um, you know, which is like a blip on the map. Right. So I definitely think, you know, we're figuring it out and, and obviously having like giant tech companies replace giant record labels as like the gatekeepers in, of the music industry isn't going to do like that doesn't make things better inherently. Um, but I do think, you know, it's like, I think that those tech companies are actually have like less power than the record labels used to. Um, or at least I hope that that's like the future that we're headed toward or, or that's what we should be fighting for anyway, for sure. Yeah, it's um, like, it's, de it's like democratizing music at that point. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I mean, I think back to like, you know, I was part of a group called the Riot Folk Collective that was like nine singer songwriters that all we basically like shared the collective income from our albums in order to like release like albums collectively. So sort of like an alternative to a record label. Okay. And like, you know, we were putting all of our music up for free download on archive.org before like Napster was even a thing, <laughs> you know? So it's like, and, and we, you know, and we actually found that we made more money doing like people would give more money in donations when we just had all the music there for free download with the donate link. than if we were like selling albums for like $9 or whatever people sell them for now. So I think like, you know, getting smart about just like, you know, we just have to like accept that the internet is here. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. So it's up to us to kind of like, you know, fight for the internet that we want and fight for a culture where people like want to support art and creativity. Um, and I think that's really the fundamental issue, right? It's like the technology is just sort of a reflection or conduit of like our culture. And so if we don't have a culture where people want to support artists, then the internet's going to reflect that. And if we do, then the internet is actually going to be a huge engine for people to support the artists that they love. And I think we'll end up leading to like a, a much better and healthier music scene with like a lot more voices than, than were heard before. Absolutely. 
You know, one of the things that I really admire about you is that you're so well-versed in the political system, the arts, and, you know, understanding the nature of capitalism and so on. It seems like you've been doing that from such a young age, too. How did you kind of educate yourself as a young person? And I know it's in part due to your career, too. It, you do it as your job as an adult. Um, how did you kind of begin to shape yourself politically and find the information that you were looking for? Because I know that there are countless people, myself included, who are always trying to get ourselves better versed in this information because sometimes it's easier to find than others. Yeah, definitely. This is making me feel old because like in my day, we had zines. Um, <laughs> we still have zines. <laughs> yeah. um, but are also like, I mean, this is kind of wild too, but in a, or in an interesting thing that's changed a lot is like the physical liner notes of albums. Yeah. You know, like we used to put in our albums, like a list of like books that people should read and stuff like that. Um, that. You know, or like bands like Crass um, and Chumbawamba and... Um, you know, like Team Dresh and like a bunch of like Riot Girl bands and stuff that would like literally put like lists of like zines or like websites or like resources to learn more about um, gender issues or about, um, you know, like environmental issues or like any number of other issues like in their liner notes of their albums and stuff like that. Um, I, I definitely remember we like we would do that on a lot of our like CDR releases. Um, I mean, there's definitely been some books that were like super formative for me, like Howard Zinn's um, you know, people's history of the United States and the autobiography of Asada Shakur um, and a lot of the autobiographies and biographies written about Black Panther political prisoners and the Black Liberation Army. Um, but I think like now it's like all that stuff is like super accessible. It's, you know, again, just taking it back to the internet. I mean, it's like you can go watch like endless hours of like YouTube, like videos of like Malcolm X talking or like, you know, like you like really important political figures. Um, and like all that stuff is sort of like at your fingertips. So I guess like, you know, I think um, finding people who are at the front lines of struggles um, who are directly impacted by issues. Um, so, you know, obviously it's gonna be predominantly like people of color, women of color, um, trans folks, um, others who are like directly experiencing um, systemic oppression. Um, and then like, you know, follow them on social media, like listen to, you know, read their books, like buy their album. Um, you know, I think is like a really important way to both um, educate yourself and support um, really important work that's happening. Um, but I think, you know, trying to go directly to the source, I think is really helpful and important rather, you know, it's like you don't need to read like, you know, some like white Rolling Stone, like editors, like review of some like cool person's book, like, you know, go to them and like see what, you know, like read it yourself um, or, um, you know, or, or follow them on Twitter and, and like see what they have to say about the current political situation. Because um, you're always going to get like a stronger sense of things, you know, by going directly to the people who are most affected by any issue. Absolutely. I like th that's really well said because I, I personally try to make a point to expose myself to so many varied voices, many of which I can connect to immediately because their experiences mirror my own in that sense. Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate is that you make a point to uplift the voices of other people too. I see you regularly tweeting things like, um, Tell me about your favorite trans artists or people that we don't know about that we need to be sharing the work of. And you do this for so many different marginalized groups of people and such. I know a lot of this is because this is what you want to see and experience, but what also motivates you to share this? Yeah, I mean, I think like artists have been taught to see each other as competition. 
Um, and that's both embedded in like actual economics of like, you know, we're taught, you know, it's sort of like scarcity 101, right? It's like, okay, there's like some limited number of people that like, like cool, weird indie art. And so like, we're all competing for their attention, um, I think is like the way that it's framed to us. Um, but then it's also like about like ego and like, you know, like really like, you know, like insecurity, I think of just like, oh, like, man, like that band got the write up in that news outlet. And like, I didn't like, so, you know, either, you know, that either brings up like, like a sentiment of like, fuck them, or it brings <laughs> up a sentiment of like, I suck, you know, um, and like, neither of those things are particularly helpful, you know, and I think like, my, I'm, I've always been excited about reframing the way we think about the music, you know, rather than being a music scene, let's think of it as like a music community, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a major difference between a scene and a community. Um, and so I'm just really excited about like finding ways where artists can lift each other up and, and support each other. Um, and yeah, like I think that I, I just fundamentally don't believe that capitalist notion of scarcity. Like I think the more people that want to listen to like cool, queer, alternative music and art like the better and if they're listening to me or another band like who cares like we're growing an audience of people that are going to support like this type of expression um and so that's part of why i love organizing break the chains too is like it's a way of giving back to my community where like you know all the people that set up a show for me over the years or like i know how hard it is for like touring artists um to you know so just like having a space for them where i can guarantee that there's going to be a, a solid crowd. I can guarantee that I'm going to pay them well. I can guarantee that like I'll actually put in the work to make sure that like they have, you know, like some food and like the things that they need and just like a soft landing spot to have a good show for like mid-level artists who, you know, are taking their art seriously and touring, but maybe aren't selling out like, you know, 500 seat clubs or whatever. Um, you know, just finding ways to like lift each other up and support, um, you know, a music community rather than a music scene is just something that, um, is really important to me that like I've benefited from from other people doing it for me um, and you know just yeah I just I want to give back to that and be part of that because um, I think that's the future you know if there's a future um, that's of a better music world um, it's definitely based in that type of camaraderie and solidarity between artists. Yeah, that's really well said because whenever you're cultivating community and you're uplifting people you're creating more permanent change whether it's for directly the artists in the community but also it's something that the crowds see too and they'll take that back whether they do it to produce their own art or they just do it in general to help sustain and take care of their own community i think that's one of the best parts about independent music as well as just independent media in that sense is you can kind of cultivate and that can sometimes reflect back into the general community yeah totally and i think like one of the things that's cool about social media and and like about like the you know this like active like artists supporting each other is it like really helps humanize artists too and like makes it less about like you know putting artists on a pedestal um you know where it's like you know you're the famous rock star artist and like we're just your lowly fans um and like that power dynamic is i mean a is so problematic and like has been abused so much in so many different ways um but b it's just like it's it's harmful i mean it like it divides us up in so many different ways and and like makes art into a spectator sport instead of something that's participatory and organic and like i mean the whole point of punk rock was supposed to be that like 
you know, we weren't that good at our instruments and like anybody can just start a band and start screaming about like the things in the world that piss them off. Um, and, you know, I think here and there we've lost sight of that. And now we have like these like punk rock rock stars who like, you know, um, and like, you know, I totally fangirl them too. Like I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, you know, I love and I, that I see like a lot more artists like interacting really directly with people that appreciate their music and, and breaking down some of those barriers and having it be more about like, um, you know, like friends and not fans um, or like a community and not a scene. Um, I know I'm sort of like repeating the, those lines, but um, I guess that's, you know, I, I appreciate seeing that and it's something I've tried to cultivate in my career. Um, and I think there's just like more and more ways to do that now as well. Definitely. And I hear that even in some of the newer music that you have out now too, because you just made me immediately think about how you share your platform in your music. Like whenever I first heard Yes, Damos, um, wow. The fact that it was the two vocals together, the fact that it was bilingual, um, it felt like you were just really making an effort to demonstrate how you can share a platform artistically as well as you can politically. Um, that was such a great, great song. And I love everything you put into that. It was one of my favorites from She, Her, They, Them. Uh, was that something that you were trying to intentionally put out there with your music? Yeah, oh, that's that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, so the the woman who collaborated with me on that song is Taina Asili, who also produced basically the whole record. Um, and she has a new album out um, this or just this last week to Resilencia. Um, that's super amazing. And um, it's funny because it's like, yeah, it, it's perceived as sharing my platform, whereas to me, I'm just like endlessly grateful to Taina for like, you know, like my album would not exist without her. And she's like one of the people that I've just worked really closely with. We both have kids. We've like done tours of Europe together with our kids in tow. Um, you know, we like, we, you know, I, I like help her write all her press releases and she helps me like, you know, produce the album. And like, you know, we really like actually embody that like idea of like mutual aid or like doing it together. Um, and, um, but yeah, like I've always been a solo artist. And so, like I've never had a band. I'm like way too much of a diva and like too busy to like keep together like a band band. And so when I get, you know, it's always been about sort of organic collaboration. And, you know, when I get to go into the studio, I, I, you know, get to kind of like think about like, well, let me just ask all my best friends um, to come and add what they do to what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, I love like the collaborations on the album with like Bonfire Madigan, who's like a huge hero of mine. And, like, Riot Girl cellist, her music's on like, but I'm a cheerleader, like iconic queer, queer film that was like totally formative for me as a little baby queer. Um, and Bell's Roar, who's like a super amazing artist who performs at Assimilation and um, Charlene Obernauer who played drums on the whole album. So, you know, it's a great opportunity for me to like work with a bunch of other like queer and women um, and femme artists um, who are just like badasses and like making amazing art in their own right. And to like have them add a little bit of their magic to like what I'm doing. Um, definitely like, you know, ended up with a better result than if it was just like me and my guitar in the studio, you know? Definitely. When you have that kind of collaboration, the music is so much more impactful because there's so many other voices, whether it's little instruments or your friends collaborating with you that just shapes it to the next level. So that's got to be really special for you. I've always been a sucker for harmony too. So, you yeah. know, and so just having, having lots of voices around is always nice. Definitely. And I think because of that, too, your style of writing, it, as well as the way that you've worked with others, it just makes your music feel so accessible. Um, I think about, I loved children's song. That was 
that was just so quirky and brilliant and genius. I just loved the, your messaging of it too. Um, and then even whenever I heard first boy, first of all, I got very excited because there are Florida references and that is my home. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. I'm like, this is awesome. Okay, cool. And it, it, it had that natural familiarity to it, not just as the sense of like, okay, this is a place, this is a sound, this is also an experience that um, many people go through and stuff. It just felt very grounding and real. Um, were you trying to make your music naturally that just organic and accessible for your listeners? Yeah, I mean, I guess that, you know, I think obviously there's lots of different ways to make art, right? And like some art can be really, like, really introspective and kind of like, you know, you almost make it for yourself. And then like, if other people enjoy it, like good for them. Um, and I totally respect like artists that make that kind of art. I definitely don't like I definitely make art that's like a little more utilitarian and I'm always kind of like all right how do I like make that song that's gonna like click for that like high school or that like because like light bulb hasn't totally gone on yet um, about politics or about gender or about like you know all these different things and so I do sort of you know actively try to make songs that are like catchy and like um, resonate with people um, especially young people because um, again just because I like remember how important like music was for me um, in like forming my ideas about the world. Um, and so, um, you know, so it's all, it's a bit of a mix. Like, you know, sometimes I just write a song and it just comes out of me. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to write a song about this thing. Um, and like, how do I make it accessible for, for a wide range of people? Um, and then there's something cool about like having my primary mode being like acoustic music, even though, you know, I'm definitely heavily influenced by punk and like, you know, play pretty fast and sing pretty loud. But it also allows me to like go play, you know, like open for someone like Pete Seeger or like, you know, play for like a bunch of like labor union grandmas who are like super excited about folk music. Um, <laughs> and so like I it's allowed me to have a really broad audience or like I did a whole tour collaborating with Spear Child, who's like a hip hop artist from the Bronx. And like, um, you know, it's like there's, you know one thing that's awesome about music is that like it can be a bit of a universal language and like mm -hmm. um so i try to not like stick myself into one like genre or subculture and be like okay here's where i am and where this is where i'm going to stay um and instead try and have it be about like well how do i write songs that can reach the widest range of people possible um and you know maybe that will you know obviously like not everyone's ever going to like anything um but i i try to not like pigeonhole myself into being like okay I only make like this type of song or like this is the, like my demographic or whatever that I'm trying to reach um but just try to like you know be make music that that reaches people absolutely I love that about the record as a whole though because I felt like you were experimenting with so many different sounds and genres and I'm sure a lot of it lended from your style of songwriting but also from the different people you were collaborating with too um, do you have like favorite songs that you wrote and recorded through this process? Um, all of them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's a correct answer too. <laughs> I, um, it was really special, you know, like it's not, not so much like my favorite songs on the album, but in terms of like my favorite recordings, like, mm -hmm. um, it was just really nice to like finally go into the studio and actually be able to like lay some of these things down especially the like more complex songs like Confluence or The Spring where there's like 10 layers of electric guitar and like a bunch of harmonies and cellos and like, you know, stuff that like I can't recreate live, you know, like I'm so used to just like getting up on a stage with just like me and my guitar and kind of like 
letting my energy do the rest. Um, and so like really being able to sit down in the studio and like, you know, get the songs kind of ready for their close up um, or like, you know, think of it as almost like a different art form than performing live. Um, Liberty is a statue is another one that like um, has always been sort of an important song to me because I, I actually wrote that song like before I sort of came out to myself as gender nonconforming. It was like oh, wow. an experience I had as a child that I like, you know, it was just sort of like, huh, that's weird. And then like, you know, so that, so like that was sort of a special song for me that I actually wrote a long time ago, like 15 years ago. It's so powerful and too. Previously had a recording of it that was just me and a guitar. And so then like going into the studio and laying down like cinematic horns and like, you know, harmonies and stuff like that was like pretty cool. And I'm really, you know, just like the, the sound of it, um, you know, gives me goosebumps and like, you know, when you can kind of create something unexpected where it's like, here's a song I've sang like a thousand, you know, 10,000 times probably. Um, and yet like I can, I can, by going into the studio and working with other musicians, I was actually able to create something that like moved me emotionally where I was like, oh, the, like my own art is like touching my heart, um, you know, in a way that I didn't expect um, is like a really powerful experience and something I didn't expect because I kind of hate the studio. Like I hate the click track. I hate being in the booth. <laughs> like, you know, that's like not my mode. Um, so that goes back to like the community thing too, where like having someone like Taina, who's like a really talented studio musician and like was able to like walk me through the process and like force me to do the click track and like deal with it um, was like really helpful um, in like making, bringing the album to life basically. Absolutely. Cause I'm sure when you have people like Taina right with you, this whole process, it kind of just gives you new ways to process your art. Like you said, it has like that, that, impact on you personally then because you're hearing it in a new way than what you had previously done um would you say liberty as a statue is one of the ones that just really hit the hardest in that sense of transforming it to this like new medium yeah I, in a way for sure i mean just because it went from sort of this like folky ballad to like you know really bringing it to life with like all these layers and instruments and like um and, and something that I hadn't ever, like I didn't, until we sat down in the studio, like, and, and sort of like getting, you know, someone was like, maybe we should add some cello to this part. Like maybe we should add some of this to this. And then it just like kind of kept building. And then I was like, oh, this is like something totally different than what we started with. Um, and then there was other songs where it was like, like Confluence, like the day I wrote it on an acoustic guitar, I heard in my head this like epic, like, folk chamber punk metal like symphony um and i'd never been able to like perform it that way and so then like i went into the studio with a very clear vision of like what i wanted it to be um and then you know like ha having bonfire madigan come through and lay down the strings like you know and like hearing it is like yes yes that's what i heard in my head like you did it um it was like really exciting as well so you know it's sort of a you know different songs led to like different process there where like some songs i had a very clear vision for what i wanted them to be and some songs just sort of like took on a life of their own once we sat down and started working on them in the studio absolutely you know you're revisiting this music in a whole new light and you're doing it musically but also some of these songs you mentioned earlier were ones that were older you kind of had to revisit and unpack and stuff it sounds like a lot of it was from previous chapters of your life, like with Liberty as a Statue, where you're kind of processing your gender identity and such. Um, I'm kind of wondering if it isn't too personal to ask, what was it like for you to kind of process that emotionally, going back and reworking these songs? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, like 
creating like writing a song or singing a song is like one way to sort of like channel like intense emotions right so like obviously like some of these songs are about like trauma or about um like you know mental health issues or like you know like difficult things in my life or our collective lives um but it's also like what's it for me anyway personally like once it becomes a song it's sort of like a relief or it's like you know usually feels more like celebratory or kind mm -hmm. of like um um like healing even if it's like an intense song about something that's like hard um but it's also you know i guess like a lot of you know and sort of less about that on this album in a way you know like i think the mainstream conception of like trans people is like is very much that like we are this like amalgamation of trauma right like that's sort of how we're portrayed right it's it's either that or it's like oh my god you're so brave you know like those are like kind of the two dynamics and so wanting to present like something that's like a bit more celebratory that's just like yeah well we're also all these other things you know or like i am also all these other things and like being trans is just one piece of who i am and so like just writing a fun song about like making out with boys at parties you know is like also political in its own way um, of just like being a little celebratory um, and not just kind of like about like the sad pieces or the hard pieces. Um, that feels like rebellious to me because it's countering like this dominant narrative of like who we are um, and what our experience are, experiences are. So I, I mostly found, you know, other than like the frust actual frustration of just like doing the 17th take and like not getting it right. Absolutely. Um, I mostly found the album to be like cathartic um in in getting these songs down and out into the world absolutely because at that point it's like i love that you mentioned that it is a little bit more celebratory because i like listening to like first boy and stuff it feels euphoric and pleasant and the way that you um everybody feels when they first have a crush and they're going through the experiences of like first romance and like all those like butterfly feelings and stuff and that was just really powerful and fun and important and i like that you even have like a euphoric sound to even your protest parts like i remember like uh, we don't need gays in the military. We need militant gays. Right. I fucking love that. And just the way that it, just the way that the voices sound chanting that, it just sounds more of like an upbeat, like yes, we're doing this kind of attitude rather than um, the negativity and like the heavier emotions that sometimes I feel like is projected whenever you're confronting protest and like difficult situations. Yeah, and I, and I, I totally think like both are needed, right? You know, it's like yeah. I would never want to tell someone like you know, don't write a negative song, right? Because uh, there's so much fucked up shit in the world. Um, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Yes, that. you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and like, so like, I would never want to like tone police someone's song, right? Or be like, you know, don't write like songs about like, you know, with like, like anger is like a really important emotion too, right? And so is sadness and like vulnerability. You need um, it all. But yeah, but, but we need it all. And, and I think especially like being a trans femme performer, um, you know, I wanted to, to share that anger and share that frustration and share that like sadness and, and depression and like struggle, but also share like the fun, like sexy, cool, like exciting elements of, of my life and my experience. And, and also to just like make it a little personal because especially like in the mainstream press, like you know, I can't tell you how many times I get sort of like, so like on behalf of all trans people, like, Ugh. you know, answer this like question. And it's just like, well, we're not a monolithic community. I can't speak for anyone except for myself. Um, and, you know, so trying to like be very clear about that in the music and, mm -hmm. and rather than kind of trying to make it like, 
okay, here's my like trans anthem for everyone. Try and have it be like, here's my anthem for like my life and my experience. And if that helps you or connects with you or you resonate with it, then like, you know, then all the better. Um, but you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the most important part there. And it's so neat that you've been able to take your personal anthem and have it be something that does connect with a lot of people. Um, what is something that you really want your listeners to get out of listening to she, her, they, them? I mean, I think to me, like the most important emotion that I want people to have when they listen to my songs is like feeling connected, mm -hmm. um, feeling connected to other people, feeling connected and like, and just feeling a little less alone. I think that's really, you know, that, that feeling of isolation or alienation, I think is one that so many people have, um, regardless of their identities or their backgrounds or their experiences. I mean, we live in a profoundly alienated culture, um, in a system that's like designed to keep people apart and, and prevent us from having like healthy, um, interactions with each other, basically. Um, and, and so, that's really, you know, if there's one thing that like I want my music to like challenge or confront or like um, or destroy, it's that alienation, um, that separation. Um, and so, um, you know, again, whether it's like kind of like a fun like romance song or love song or like, you know, a, like fist in the air, like political anthem, um, the idea is still always just to like help people feel a little more connected and a little less alone. Absolutely. Well, I feel like your music's definitely accomplishing that. And I get excited every time I see somebody sharing your work. Uh, well, how do you feel getting everything out in the world and being able to share it through like a label like Don Giovanni Records? I mean, that's been super awesome. Just like, you know, I'd, I'd never worked with a label before. I'd always done all of my own booking. Again, like, I mean, I sold a few thousand copies of Never Surrender. And like the last thousand or so I like literally burned off of like my like computer as CDRs because I didn't have the money to like do a repressing um and before that you know Riot Foot Collective we used to like all of our albums were just like a blank CDR with like sharpie written on it and like folded into a single sheet of eight and a half by eleven paper that we like scammed photocopies from Staples for or whatever um and so you know just getting a little bit of support in in doing the work especially at, at this stage in my life and as a parent and like working a full-time organizing job I knew that like I wasn't going to be able to do it alone or, or at least not the way that I wanted to mm -hmm. um so it was all it's and again like here's like the internet coming along and like creating you know where there's just like there's not um, there's so many like more labels out there now that are like, you know, supporting, um, queer and trans artists and, um, artists that are like, you know, historically outside the mainstream. Um, and Don Giovanni is obviously one of them that's just like putting out so much awesome music from like so many and like, that isn't kind of like, again, like stuck into like one very specific subculture where like, I feel like if I put out my music on this label, then like, that's just, you know, I'm going to be like in that scene or whatever. Um, you know, they're putting out like, you know, so many different bands and, and musicians and artists um, and poets, et cetera. So, so it's super awesome to connect with them for this. And, um, you know, it's been, it's worked out really, really well. And, um, and then, you know, again, it's like awesome that there's so many more people writing about music from so many different perspectives, so, like having like Billboard Pride write about it or Out Magazine, um, you know, where like that wasn't even an option. Like yeah. you know, the last time I put out a record, like there just wasn't like that, you know, other than like in like really underground, um, scenes and stuff like there just wasn't sort of like semi mainstream outlets like writing about like revolutionary music. Um, so 
you know, uh, and I'm just, I'm so excited to see like so many artists like getting that recognition and, and support. And, you know, we have to keep fighting for that space because, you know, we never, that, that's the only way we get it. Um, it's, it's up to us to fight for it. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's so important to be able to like have the spaces and continue to allow more spaces to grow in that sense. And the, the way that your music is reaching people and such, uh, it's just powerful and it's going to encourage other people who need to hear your voice to grow themselves personally in that sense. Cause you have that ability to influence sort of these outlets. Um, with that in mind too, uh, you know, you do a really great job of spreading education and awareness, but I'm wondering who influences you that you see, maybe it's on the internet or the arts, like who kind of influences and inspires you? Yeah. I mean, so many people, I don't even know where to start. Um, I mean, like I'm definitely inspired by like a number of organizations that are doing like really sustained work. Um, and I think that's really important too, especially in this kind of like, Twitter culture of like influencers, right? Where like, you know, we follow like certain accounts of people who are just like really funny or like really good at being snarky or whatever. And like, that's awesome. And like, I'm, I'm totally, I respect, like I respect that as an art form in and of itself. But then I, it's also just really important for me to like, especially put my energy, you know, if I'm like donating or putting my energy and attention toward like organizations that are doing like deep organizing and sustained work. So like the Audrey Lord project that works um, with trans uh, people of color in New York, City, um, Critical Resistance that does um, prison abolition organizing um, nationwide, um, Black and Pink that does organizing for um, trans and queer people in prison, um, you know, the Sex Workers Organizing Project Swap, um, doing like national work in support of sex workers. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I, I'm going to leave people out if I start like listing off too many organizations, but, um, you know, so I definitely try to like follow like organizations again that are like led by the people who are most affected by any given issue. Um, Cause that really, you know, they're going to have their finger on the pulse of like, what's the most useful, effective thing that you can do at any given time mm -hmm. more than any like pundit or like, you know, just, or like kind of like semi celebrity on the internet. Right. Um, um, and then, you know, musically, like I'm just so, there's just like so much awesome music out there right now. Like I, I love like, you know, Algiers and Downtown Boys and um, Samus and like, you know, Mal Bloom and um, Laura Stevenson and other people that are on Don Giovanni. Um, I've, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Potty Mouth lately. Um, they're really fantastic. Um, you know, I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Um, Rebel Diaz, uh, Taina Asili, Bells Roar, um, Siha Sin, um, who are like a Navajo punk band from um, uh, the Navajo Nation in quote unquote Arizona. Um, you know, I'm really inspired by like a lot of different folks from different genres and, you know, different writers and, um, but, um, but yeah, I think like going back, you know, it's like, again, in terms of educating myself, like I always try to just like look for the people who are closest, um, to the issue, um, because they're going to have the best sense of what's going on, um, you know, much more so than I ever will. Um, and so, you know, I think that's always the best way to like get yourself tapped in and plugged in and see how you can help is by like listening to the people who are, who are closest to the issue. Absolutely. That's the best way to do it. And you've listed some really incredibly talented people that are just working really hard to share their music, share voices of others and stuff. And that's really special and important in the community. Um, I'm kind of wondering, I like to throw this question at all of my guests, if you could say you're planning a show 
You can work with any three artists. They can be currently <laughs> active or you can bring them back from the dead. Oh my gosh. Who would it be? Okay. All right. This is serious. Um, I feel like I have to bring at least one person back from the dead. Otherwise it's like sort of boring. Right. So, um, okay. <laughs> you sprang this on me. I'm not ready for this. Um, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to have x-ray specs headline. Um, I'm going to have, um, like a, like a Don Giovanni, like super group formed of like, um, like Laura Stevenson on guitar, Samus on vocals and, um, bad moves as like their backing band as like Ooh. the opening act. Um, and then I'm going to have... happen in real life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I would have, um, um, maybe like, um, um, Sister Loretta Tharp, like, um, like old school, like blues, um, guitarist, um, from like the thirties. Um, I think I would have her like close out the show, um, with some like, you know, gospel style, um, like roof raising because she was a badass. Oh my um, gosh. I love your show. Maybe like Wendy Carlos would like play the like interim songs in between on a synth. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh, your show sounds amazing. I want this Don Giovanni showcase ASAP because it's <laughs> amazing. Just for literally just that, that middle act, I'm here for it, that's for sure. Right? <laughs> Should happen. Well, absolutely. Well, I love all that you're putting out there musically, politically, artistically, in every way possible. Where can everybody keep up with you online? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the internet um, in all the places. <laughs> um, Twitter is probably where I'm like most active, just Evan underscore Greer. So, you know, find me there. My DMs are open, <laughs> as, they say, <laughs> as the kids say these days. Um, and, you know, and, you know, all, the new album is on Bandcamp and, and all the other places, but Bandcamp is definitely like the best place to buy it. I love those folks over at Bandcamp and they're really doing a lot to support artists and support artists that are historically left out of, of the mainstream music scene. So. Um, yeah, Don Giovanni Records, Evan Greer, evangreer.org, all the places. I'm easy to find. Um, so yeah, and I, I really love connecting with, with folks that are out there making music or anyone that connects with my music. So like encourage folks to like shoot me a message. I'm friendly. Um, and and it, it, it means a lot um, just to know that people are connecting with it. So I do appreciate all that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining, Evan. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on and thanks for all you do. At the party in Miami, we had a few too many And I passed out long before you came to bed You did an oil change at 6am and the bus lurched north for Gainesville I left a letter and some water by your sleeping head and the thought came to my mind like an evacuation order That may have been my last chance to kiss someone in Florida Thinking about you across the Alabama border It's more than one that got away But by your memory I'm taunted You're the first boy I ever wanted You're the first boy I ever Wanted. You're the first boy I ever wanted
above your embrace The sequins on your dress You know I was impressed by your blessed confidence But you had super trendy friends And your apartment was a mess Thought it would be best to go to bed But the thought came to my mind Like a flood-related fire Running out of time to act on our desires And my beat-up Subaru Burned through another set of tires There's more than one that got away But by your memory I'm taunted You're the first boy I ever wanted You're the first boy heard Evan Greer. Thank you so much to Evan for reaching out and for sharing so much of herself from her approaches to songwriting and collaboration to community building. It's really special and important how she cultivates messages in both her activism and art so that she and others can share their stories too. Evan's music is as empowering as it is hopeful and I'm excited for more of you to become fans. Be sure to grab a copy of She, Her, They, Them from Don Giovanni Records. That's it for this week, but you can always keep up with me online. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for regular updates. Subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. Want to tell me what you think of the podcast? Leave a review on any of the apps. I'd love to hear from you. If you like what you hear and have some spare change, drop a virtual tip at the Angry Girl Music Coffee page. All cash goes toward helping with expenses for hosting across all your favorite podcast apps, a future website, and some other projects for the pod. I'm always booking guest spots, so hit me up at angrygirlmusic at gmail.com. Whether you write and play music, run a blog, take photos, work in publicity or book shows, this can be a space for you. Send me a link to your work, and let's chat. Until next time, stay angry and build up your community. Gentrification. I say resist this elitist bullshit. I say it's time for a new movement. If you're feeling this song, you can all sing along. When I say queer, you say we're strong. Say queer. Say queer. Say queer. And we waited too long. Sitting, listening to politicians saying, hey, give you another inch if you give me another day. Have some patience, be a good gay. Just like Dima with Katrina, they say help is on the way. Put your hands up if you're being lied to. Make some noise if your government is working for you. Uh, check. One, two, I guess we got our answer, so what are we gonna do? Let's riot in the streets till the break is on. 
start a revolution while we're getting it on The laughter of our children will be our revenge The only rings on our fingers are for self-defense Don't ask me what I think cause I tell you what I say So don't ask me what I think cause I tell you what I'd say We don't need gays in the military We need militant gays We don't need gays in the military We need militant gays We don't need gays in the military We need militant gays We don't need gays in the military We need militant gays